family is all that lives in sight and sound, touch and taste. Live, come on, be human and give, give, give. <laughs> the Woodstock Roundtable welcomes you to be a part of being human. Aho! Greetings, everyone. Welcome to the Woodstock Roundtable. Doug Grunthe, your host. Looking forward to two hours of conversational improvisation. A special guest. Some cool music. And a little street philosophy among the items on the agenda. Uh, We will be talking to a very interesting woman who's helping to put on a very interesting event. We'll be speaking to Maria Todaro. She's the director founder of the Phoenicia Festival of the Voice. It's been a very successful annual event in Phoenicia. Well, it's going to take place in Kingston because there's going to be a virtual element to it. They're figuring out how to put on a show in the age of the coronavirus. And it's very creative and very interesting. We'll turn you on to that and talk to Maria a little bit later on. Uh, I'll be talking with my co-host, Ron Van Warmer. We just finished an argument already about the coronavirus, so we're not going to argue over the next two hours. We're going to pull the camera back and take a little bigger look at the human species. Because if you want to learn about an individual or a group or a species, put them under stress. And then we get to see what we're about. And we're under stress. How we doing? You want to laugh or cry? We're going to choose to laugh. We'll be talking to our favorite street philosopher, Patrick Carlin. We'll have music from the Sultan of Sonic Soul, Gus Mancini. And we'll even open up the Woodstock Roundtable jukebox, because we can. We always leave room for surprises, because whether we like it or not, they find us. So fasten your seatbelts. Inject yourself with caffeine or whatever else gets you motivated in the morning. Join us for the Woodstock Roundtable. Ah. <laughs> Open the pod bay doors, Hal. How's Hal this morning? Hal's doing just fine. He's behaving himself. He's not coughing or sneezing. No symptoms. No symptoms. I've sprayed him with uh, disinfectant. Oh, good. And uh, we should be good. We should be good. Well, we're going to talk about intelligence. Well, all right. Let's see if we I can find se- some. I haven't seen too much of it recently. <laughs> uh, but um, primarily nature's intelligence. Ah. Because we tend to forget... I'm guilty of it. Uh, we forget that um, we humans uh, are a result of nature's intelligence. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're here because of nature's intelligence. Uh, we survive or not because of nature's intelligence. And we um, right now are dealing with nature's intelligence because whether we like it or not, COVID-19 is part of nature's intelligence. We don't like to think that way. We like to think of it the way the media presents it. It's our enemy, which on one level it is. But if we pull the camera back, it's part of nature. And uh, we played months ago a very intelligent um, virologist and uh, world health expert who pointed out we're going to see more of this Mm -hmm. because we humans insist on not not only overpopulating the planet, We know the planet cannot sustain 7.8 billion of us. But we continue to uh, push our civilization into wildlife areas. And uh, we end up catching these uh, viruses, which Mm -hmm. we weren't meant to catch because we're not supposed to be encroaching (laughs) on these territories. Uh, By the way, we're also um, destroying rainforests and trees, which, you know, protect us from carbon, all sorts of stuff. So anyway, I was trying to think as I'm coming in here this morning saying, you know what, we need to look at this thing with a bigger picture, but we need to have a sense of humor about it. Who can I I turn to? Ah, who would that be? You know, in times of stress, we we have to find a wise person. Yeah. uh, Maybe a a great philosopher um, from the the great age of the Greek philosophers, or or maybe a, a wonderful spiritual teacher. Um, of which there have been, fortunately, quite a number in our human evolution. But not a lot of humor. 
Well, <laughs> one of the things I can say for good old America, because we lead the world in greed and arrogance, but we also lead the world in comedy. Yeah. Since our beginning, I've always noted, we have had a great respect for humor. Um, and not just polite humor. Right. Because humor can be polite, but it's not supposed to be. Right? Humor at its best is a revealer. It pulls, yeah. it pulls, and you have to excuse me because I know people are behind their mask. It pulls the mask off. Yeah. And, uh, well, it goes way back, too. I mean, the court jester was the only guy in the room who could say things about the king and not be executed. And not be killed. Yeah. Because he was the comic in the right. room. So even arrogant kings understood the value of humor. Well, the phrase that kept popping in my mind was one from uh, George Carlin, which is one of his late last monologues I loved, where he talked, <laughs> he talked about us humans being such an arrogant, failed species. And um, in many ways we are. In many ways we're an incredibly intelligent, humane, ethical species. There are people doing amazing work mm -hmm. as we speak. My favorite are the nurses, but because um, I've just noticed if it wasn't for them, none of us would probably be walking. No. Um, the uh, and health, you know, in healers and health practitioners. But every time I want to play a George Carlin monologue, of course <laughs> I can't because he's using language I love but can't be played on the radio. Yeah. And then I realized, wait Damn a minute, that FCC. I said to myself, schmuck. I like to, call myself a schmuck once in a while. I said, there's this Me thing too. called the World Wide Web uh -huh. that you keep extolling the virtues of. And so I admit it in my car. Uh, <laughs> I asked Siri, um, uh, George Carlin, Arrogant Species, and up comes from something called Scraps from the Loft huh. website. I like that for Scraps from the Loft. Yeah, that's good. George Carlin's, uh, the full transcript of, of, of his routine that I was looking oh. for, so I can avoid the words I'm not allowed to say on the radio. <laughs> Expletive deleted. And, and maybe I remember it wrong, because our memories are faulty, but I thought I'd read some of this stuff. Yeah. Get, and again, the idea is, have a laugh, but George, near the end of his life, uh, stopped pulling any punches. He wasn't, well, he was, he was never totally polite, but he was really giving us a pretty good view of ourselves, I thought. Mm-hmm. And uh, while obviously this was done before COVID-19, I think it's very relevant. So uh, let's see if I can find it here. Um, let's see how your timing is here. Ah, <laughs> I enjoy chaos and disorder. Now, first of all, you got to admire somebody who enjoys chaos and disorder. Uh -huh. uh, in science, the polite word is entropy. Right. And... Uh, there's a wonderful bumper sticker, entropy, it's the law. Um, <laughs> I ain't no scientist, but as I understand entropy, it's one of the main mechanisms of the universe. It's the reason we're here is because of entropy. And entropy is the law that in time, everything breaks apart. Goes into chaos. Right. Everything breaks. That's the way nature works. And you say, well, oh, that's kind of pessimistic. No, it's not. <laughs> because if things didn't break apart, nothing new could happen, right. including us. Yeah. Right? If there was an entropy, Homo sapiens never would have showed up on the planet. Okay. By the way, there are a lot of species on the planet that wish we never did show up. <laughs> which means, um, before I go to George, I got to tell you about this. Okay. This, this got me really wonderfully irritated. And how can it be wonderfully irritated? I'm going to tell you how. I'm flipping through the channels, right? And I go to the TV, the guide, you know, the electronic right. guide on my cable. Looking for something to see. And um, I'm a big sports guy, and I'm glad golf is back on TV, but there's no baseball, you know, uh -huh. no sports. So, so, you know, I'm watching other stuff, and I'm looking for a documentary. And I pass this channel, and it's like a, one of these nature discovery cha type channels. And it says what's coming up, and it's a it's a documentary on alligators. I love alligators and crocodiles. <laughs> I don't know what it, because they're so perfect in their form. And they've, by the way, they were here when the dinosaurs were here. Yeah. So that's a that's a pretty 
you, you got you got to give them credit. That's a pretty resilient species. It certainly is. They've it's even a, survived us barely, but they've even survived us. A cockroach of animals. Yeah, and <laughs> and they're also they're magnificent in their own way. All right, so I look at the title of the documentary, and the title got me so angry. <laughs> I screamed in my chair. All by yourself, screaming I at the did. TV. Screaming. Well, not even at the TV, <laughs> screaming at the universe, which okay. tends not to listen to me. Yeah. Now, what we get, what what possible title could there be of a of of a, of a documentary about alligators that would get me so irate? I can't even imagine. Three words. I'm dying here. Here's the title of <laughs> the documentary about these magnificent creatures. Right? Which have been here a lot longer than us. You ready for the title? I am. I'm way past ready. The Vicious Alligator. <laughs> and I, this is why I went to George's. Our, our, what an arrogant title for a document. The, question. Yes. How is an alligator vicious? Um, it attacks humans and kills them. Oh, does that happen a lot? Uh, now and again. Now, do alligators are they are they kind of hiding behind trees in the suburbs, um, uh, ready to to leap out and attack some poor human? Well, only because we have gone into the uh, oh, thank you very wild much. oh, and taken over there. Oh, so these vicious animals, <laughs> these vicious creatures, how dare they attack a human? Yeah, walking across my golf course and uh, destroying their habitat. Uh huh. But last I checked, again, it could be wrong. Uh, I don't see too much evidence of alligators, you know, uh, hiding behind trees attacking humans. Yeah. What? But what is vicious about an alligator? Please explain it to me. Well, I guess it's like um, uh, a vicious dog. The only dog, the dogs that are vicious were trained that way by humans yeah, that's true. Uh, uh, or, or beaten that way by humans for the most part. Um, and by the way, I'm not saying there, you know, there are demented humans and some dogs are maybe have rabies and are crazed, but let's go back to the vicious alligator. Right. Okay. We know why they entitled the vicious alligator. Cause people will watch it. Yeah. It's a dramatic, right? Right. But, but think of the arrogance. Alligators, I'm asking you a question as an intelligent being. What is vicious about an alligator? Well, there's nothing vicious, innately vicious about the alligator. Thank you. So why are they calling it the vicious alligator? A, because, yeah, it gets people to watch because it's dramatic. And by the way, that's why the media, I understand this is a dangerous virus we're dealing with. I get it. But just read the language of the New York Times last week. They're describing, I thought I was reading a, a grade B, about a grade B horror movie. At any rate, the point is, let's look at our language here. What is vicious about an alligator? That is, the, we say that and we think that because we see an alligator say, attack an antelope right. and kill it. And we call it vicious. Well, wait a minute. Is that alligator killing that antelope because its mother didn't give it enough attention and um, its ego is bruised? No. Oh. Maybe it's killing that antelope to eat it and survive. That is why Maybe it's doing it. an alligator is a clear element of nature's intelligence, but we call it vicious. Did you watch the documentary? No, I was so irate. <laughs> I'm sure what? they showed it eating, you know, somebody's leg or something, just to show how vicious okay. it is. Would you please ask Siri how many humans are killed every year by alligators? Right. We are such an arrogant species. How dare us call alligators vicious? This really gets me upset. They are adaptable uh they are um resilient and they've survived against all odds after we showed up on the planet okay i'm sure it's millions 
Well, so far in the 2020s, it's one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope that I hope that vicious animal that attacked a human was uh, was properly killed. Eight in the uh, 2010s. Oh, almost one a year. Yeah. And how many of those took place in the suburbs of New Jersey? Um, one probably. at a mall. Okay, one alligator attacks some people at a mall. It's a uh, golf course. It's always a golf course. Yeah. Well, I love golf, but we're that's we're encroaching on their territory. Well, of course. I mean, that in Florida, I have a friend who lives all, just off of a golf course, mm-hmm. and she sends pictures all the time of an alligator that's walking yeah. through her well, yard. Well, I love golf and I love playing golf, but when it comes to if it's a choice between the alligator and the golfer, I root for the alligator. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, that golf course is taken. That's where he lived. That alligator. The lived vicious there. alligator. How <clears throat> dare you? What arrogance! There's nothing vicious about an alligator, okay? Because vicious has a, has a meaning. And there, now, was, there was one in Florida at the uh, Walt Disney World. Anyone who goes to Walt Disney World deserves <laughs> to be attacked by an alligator. That's just my opinion. It's a minority opinion. Hey. Walt Disney was one of the, was one of the most vile human beings. Just read, his, read the real biography. Uh, 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 Walt Disney... Um, um, America's Dark Prince. I hate. I hate that. Yeah. Virulent anti-Semite. Uh, Love turning people in as communists. Yeah. You know. Anyway, that's that's Uncle Walt. Right. But um, I digress. Yeah. <laughs> um, the vicious alligator. No, no. Our alligators. Can can we look at look nature and see what we perceive as violence? Yes, we can. It's violent, of course. Mm-hmm. But. Vicious implies intention. Right. A, a certain kind of intention that's not about pure survival. Yeah. And, and a, uh, an alligator attacking a mammal to survive is part of nature's intelligence. It's not part of some vicious cycle. Okay. So anyway, I got irate, but I digress. Um, <laughs> Someone's got to stand up for the alligator. Absolutely, and uh, the crocodiles. Uh, the crocodiles are even even more intense. Yeah. Oof. All right. So let's go back to George here. Oh, he started out with I enjoy chaos and disorder. Right. Not just because they help me professionally, they're also my hobby. <laughs> you see, I'm an entropy fan. When I first heard of entropy in high school science, I was attracted to it immediately. When they told me that in nature all systems are breaking down, I thought, what a good thing. Perhaps I can make some small contribution in the area. <laughs> um, and of course, it's not just in nature. In this country, the whole social structure just beginning to collapse. You watch. Just beginning now to come apart at the edges and the seams. And the thing I like about that is that it means it makes the news on television more interesting. (laughs) It makes the television news more exciting and more fun. I watch television news for one thing, and one thing only, entertainment. That's all I want from the news entertainment. You know my favorite thing on television? Bad news. (laughs) Bad news and disasters and acts. Oh, if George was alive today, he'd be loving this coronavirus. I want to see some explosions and fires. By the way, I watched George Layton's life go on like Dennis Miller, and Dennis Miller go, you, you, you're not serious, are you? I mean, he freaked everyone out, including the comedians, and uh-huh. I love about, about George. Um, I don't care about tax negotiations. I'm not interested in the budget. I don't want to know what the blanking pope is in, uh, what country the blanking pope is in, but you show me a hospital on fire and people on crutches jumping off the roof, I'm a happy guy. <laughs> um, if it bleeds, it leads. I want to know the stock market dropped 2,000 points in one day. (laughs) Ah, George, if you were just here. Um, (laughs) Okay. Anyway, he says, that's why I watch auto racing. That's the only reason I watch auto racing. I'm waiting for an accident. Uh I want to see some cars on fire. Now, what's he getting at here? He's getting at what the, and by the way, I pulled a couple articles from the New York Times, this morning's New York Times, that I think are really interesting uh-huh. and important. But the New York Times, they know what CNN knows, 
what MSNBC knows, what Fox. And you say, wait a minute, there's a big difference between MSNBC and Fox. No, they're, yeah, well, content-wise, yeah. but process-wise, they're identical. Yes, absolutely. Because the people running both those networks know something, which is the more dramatic it is, the more eyeballs we get. Yeah. And the more eyeballs we get, the more money we make. And, you know, we're not, George is not alone. We, everybody wants to see the car crash. Well, then we should be happy that there's a coronavirus. Well, you want to see people freaking out. You don't have to even turn on the TV. Just look out your window. Watch people riding a bike, a bike with a mask on. Makes a <laughs> lot of sense because those squirrels could be sneezing on you from above the branch. At any rate, I digress. Back to George. Um, I just want some entertainment. That's the kind of guy I am. Um, okay, auto racing. I want to get to the arrogant species part because when I saw a documentary entitled The Vicious Alligator, I said, what an arrogant species. We're the vicious ones. Okay. Uh -huh. At least I admit it, George says. Most people won't admit to these feelings. Most people see something like, like a disaster on TV. They say, oh, isn't that awful? Isn't that too bad? They're lying. You love it. Explosions are fun. <laughs> um, let's see here. Okay. This, this to me, oh, here we go. See, I'm not one of these people who's worried about everything. You got people like this around you? Country's full of them now. People walking around all day long, every minute of the day, worried, worried, worried about the air, worried about the water, worried about the soil, worried about insecticides, pesticides, food additives, carcinogens, worried about radon gas, worried about asbestos, worried about saving endangered species. Let me tell you about endangered species. Saving endangered species is just one more arrogant attempt by humans to control nature. He's really getting at something deep here. Yeah. Because I, I give to animal funds that preserve alligator domicile areas uh, right okay so what's he getting at here saving endangered species is an arrogant attempt by humans to control nature it's arrogant meddling it's what got us in trouble in the first place interfering with nature over 90 percent of all the species that have ever lived on this planet ever lived are gone they're extinct we didn't kill them all they just disappeared that's what nature does they disappear these days at the rate of 25 a day, regardless of our behavior. Irrespective of how we act on this planet, 25 species that were here today will be gone tomorrow. Leave nature alone. Haven't we done enough? Mm. We're so self-important, so self-important. Everybody's got to save something. Save the trees, save the bees, save the whales, save the snails, save the planet. What? Are these blanking people kidding me? Save the planet? We don't even know how to take care of ourselves. We haven't learned how to care for one another, and we're going to save the planet? I'm getting tired of this. I'm getting tired of, of Earth Day. I'm tired of these self-righteous environmentalists. I love being an environmentalist. I love that he goes after environmentalists. Uh -huh. This is great. Makes us think. Yeah, That's his job. These white bourgeois liberals who think the only thing wrong with this country is there aren't enough bicycle paths. Um, people trying to make the world safe for their Volvos. <laughs> Besides, environmentalists don't give a blank about the planet. Oh, it's a pretty provocative statement, isn't yeah, it? Let's it see is. if there's any truth behind it. Um, they don't care about the planet, not in the abstract. You know what they're interested in? A clean place to live, their own habitat. They're worried that someday in the future they might personally be inconvenienced. Self-interest doesn't impress me. Besides, there's nothing wrong with the planet. The planet's fine. The people are blanked. <laughs> the planet is fine compared to the people. The planet's doing great. Been here four and a half billion years. Do you ever think about the arithmetic? The planet's been here for four and a half billion years. We've been here, what, 100,000, maybe 200,000? And we've only been engaged in heavy industry for a little over 200 years. 200 years versus four and a half billion. And we have the conceit to think that somehow we're a threat? That somehow we're going to put jeopardy into this beautiful little blue-green ball that's just a floating around the sun? This planet has been through a lot worse than us. Been through all kinds of things. Earthquakes, volcanoes, plate tectonics, continental drift, solar flares, sunspots, magnetic storms, the magnetic reversal of the poles. That's painful, by the way. <laughs> the magnetic did reversal you ever have of your the poles? poles? Did oh. you ever have your poles reversed? Ooh. Woo! 
Yeah. <laughs> um, comets, asteroids, meteors, worldwide floods, tidal flaves, worldwide fires, erosion, cosmic rays, recurring ice ages. And we think plastic bags and aluminum cans are going to make a difference. The planet isn't going anywhere. We are. Yeah. We're going away. Pack your crap, folks. We're going away, and we won't leave much of a trace either. Thank God for that. Maybe a little styrofoam, maybe a little styrofoam. The planet will be here. We'll be long gone. Another failed mutation, another closed-end biological mistake, an evolutionary cul-de-sac. The planet will shake us off like a bad case of fleas, a surface nuisance. Um... God bless George. Um, the planet will be here for a long, long time after we're gone, and it will heal itself. It'll cleanse itself because that's what it does. It's a self-correcting system. So maybe we ought to just take a step back. At the same time, we have every right to fear the virus. We have every right to grieve people who've died from this thing. But all I ask is this, because I'm tired of arguing. Most of my friends disagree with me. They think shutting down the whole economy is a good idea and necessary. Okay, but whatever you think about that, can we at least agree on one thing? While we're grieving the uh, 400,000 people who've died from this thing around the world, can we also grieve for the 100 million people who are at risk of starvation because we closed down the world economy? Can we also grieve for the millions of people who lost their jobs and may not get them back? Can we grieve for the millions of small businesses that people work their asses off to, that are now destroyed? Can we grieve for them too, I think too, we please? can. I think we can. I okay. think we will. I think we do. And then maybe next time we'll come up with a different way of dealing with this thing. I'm sure we will. a little will. more intelligent than what the crap we're doing. Well, I'm sure we will. I'm sure that we'll learn something. Well, I hope we'll learn something. I'm not sure we or will. Or entropy might be just having a good time with us. Absolutely. It's the way it goes. Yeah, I, I was reading uh, recently an article about uh, saving the panda bear. Mm -hmm. And many conservationists are rethinking the amount of money that is going into saving one species rather than trying to save hundreds of species, which we could do spending that same amount of money that we do on the panda bear. But the panda bear is cute. Right. The alligator's not. The, right. alligator, the alligator is what? Vicious. Vicious. <laughs> <laughs> and the panda bear is cute. Cute. So we want to save the panda bear rather than the 25 other species that we could be saving, spending the same amount of money that we're spending on saving okay. the But let's panda. go back to George's point. I get and appreciate somebody who takes the time, spends their own hard-earned money, and puts their, whole, their own valuable time into saving a species. I think that's beautiful in many ways. But is it intelligent? Well, that's the question. Because while we're saving the panda, all right, let's put it this way. If you're someone who's putting up money and spending time to save the panda, right? Mm -hmm. But in order to save 20 cents on uh -huh. paper towels, you're going to Walmart instead of a local owner of a small business, then what the hell are you saving? Yeah. Let's take a break. All right. All the world of a sun is in a sleep. People everywhere just want to be free. Listen, please, listen, that's the way it should be. Peace in the valley, people got to be free. You should see. Rascal's still sounding good. You betcha. Is this still the Woodstock Roundtable? It is. Uh, I'm Doug Grunther. Ron Van Warmer is co-hosting today. Uh, he'll stick around after I leave at 9 to play you great music. Uh, we're improvising, talking about various and sundry yeah. things. 
Um, if, if George Carlin was around today, he would love two stories in today's New York Times. Uh-huh. I don't know that the editors meant, because they weren't next to each other. See, when I read the Times, I don't read the paper version. I read the digital version, right. which is a little bit different. But you know, one of the great phrases we learned as kids, whatever goes up must come down. Uh-huh. It's a little bit of entropy in that statement, right? Sure. So isn't it interesting that in today's times, two stories uh, about how we're reacting to the coronavirus, um, one about going up and one about going down. You want to take a guess at what, what the two stories are about? One's about going up and one's about going down. Um, the number of cases going up? That's good guess. Um, the number of cases going down? Nope. <laughs> uh, and by the way, again, I'm not going to get into an argument. The stock market going down? But people are freaking out that the number of cases are increasing, right? Mm-hmm. Has anyone stopped to think that one of the reasons that we have more cases being reported is because we have more testing happening? Uh, well... Okay, and number one, and number two. So when we weren't testing, people there, were still there weren't getting, cases. That's my point. But, but there, there were. Okay, exactly. So the fact is, one of the reasons that we're hearing about more and more cases because we're having more and more testing. But the other reason is that, that again, just something to think about. But it doesn't change the number of cases that are actually Correct. happening. But here's what's more to me. This is just my opinion. There's. There is a statistic that's much more important than the number of people who are reporting that they have this. And that's how many people are dying from it or suffering to a degree where they have to be hospitalized. And that number's going down in a lot of places where the number of cases being reported are going up. That doesn't get reported very well because it's not as scary. Okay, I'm, I'm not going to get into it. <laughs> I'm just saying, just we need a bigger picture. But anyways, what, what, the story about going up is about elevators. Ah, now, I remember reading, because you know I, I've done trivia events for years, and one of my favorite trivia facts, which I st even though I researched it this morning a little bit, it's not real clear if it's true or not. Some, some sources say it is, some say it isn't. But the, the, the answer is the elevator. Nobody gets the answer, nobody answers that when I ask this question. Okay. What's the most frequently used form of transportation in the world? Ah. Now, I would think the bicycle, the car, right? Uh-huh. Um, but some source, no, it's the elevator. Now, this is when business is normal, not now. Right. And, um, I mean, literally hundreds of millions of people ride elevators every day. Well, how's that going to work now in the age of COVID-19? It's tricky. So there was an article called Going Up Not So Fast, Strict New Rules to Govern Elevator Culture. And I find this fascinating because we've talked about this before. We, we, before COVID-19, the world was already moving towards virtual relationships. Mm -hmm. You may like it, you may not, but it's happening. And now it's happening at a much faster rate. Yeah. And so... Even when this virus is, we've said we've reached herd immunity. No, people no longer have to fear the virus, right? It's probably going to take at least six months for that to happen, minimum. Mm -hmm. So have fun the next six months hiding out. Um, how With people going back to work, right, they're not going to be crowding into elevators. Yeah. All right. Well, if you work in an office building that is four stories high, great. Get some exercise and walk. Uh huh. But what if you work in a city in an office building that's sixty stories high, or live in it, or live in it, and you live or work on the fortieth floor? Unless you're a marathon runner, yeah. you've got a problem here. Uh huh. You're going to be waiting a long time to take your elevator ride because. We're going to want to, right? You're going to want to keep social distance. So, is it saying that people are not riding elevators? Well, we don't know. We don't. We, it's too early to tell. But the the subheadline is small, crowded, and closed spaces are petri dishes for the coronavirus. But in urban office buildings, elevators are a necessity. So companies are wrestling with how to make them safer. Uh huh. 
They're hoping they can come up with some ultraviolet light that can zap the virus. I mean, who knows? But uh, the point I'm, I'm not arguing, any, I'm just saying it's so interesting. When we look at the uh, unintended consequences of protecting ourselves from a virus, right? Uh-huh. How's this going to work? Yeah, well, elevators are just uh, one of the uh, aspects. Well, I mean, but it's a huge one because it is, if not the, one of the top forms of transportation in the world. We just don't think about it that way. First of all, we live in the Hudson Valley where there aren't that many elevators. Right. But most people are living in cities. Now, of course, at the same time, corp- uh, businesses are figuring out, wait a minute, why should I be renting expensive office space when people have shown they can be effective working at home. Uh-huh. I think there's going to be a huge switch. You better believe it. Which doesn't mean we're eliminating social contact and in live in-person conversations, because we know that's important too. Mm-hmm. But we're going to be reducing it. Right. And not just until the virus goes away. And, I, and This I, is a bigger trend than the virus. I have always said since the beginning that Social distancing is just the wrong word. It's physical distancing. Social, we need to be socially together. We need to physically stay apart, not socially stay apart. Okay, but they are connected. And um, the point is that this is a serious, complex issue. How do people work and live in high-rise buildings? And you say, okay, but in six months nine months, whatever, the virus will be gone, everyone will go back to normal. No, they won't. No. No, they will not. First of all, the fear that this virus caused is going to stay with us. And by the way, every year, over a million people die of, 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 of viruses. Hello? So, I'm sorry, sorry to tell you the truth, but that's, that's a fact. Um, it's part of how nature works. So anyway, we have a going we have a problem with going up, right? Yeah. Also in the New York Times is this article. Could doomsday bunkers become the new normal? Hey. Now I didn't know about this. Ready? Um he talks about this company in Maine that creates bunkers uh-huh. for homes. He says he can't keep up. Yeah, that, that wasn't even a good idea when uh, they were building. Uh, well, they were building for, in, in the fifties. People were building uh, uh, bomb shells right. underground to protect themselves from a nuclear attack by the Ruskies. Yes, those nasty Russians. I, I had neighbors when I was a kid who decided, well, should we have a swimming pool or a bunker? <laughs> they picked the bunker. <laughs> I want to party with them. And nobody. And and what do you do with a bunker? Party Central, baby. Party Central. So, um, uh, anyway, he he can't keep up with the orders. People say, hey, there's a virus out there. I'm hiding out in a bunker. (laughs) Well, uh, our president went to a bunker. Different reason. Different reason, but nevertheless. Mm, Related. Fear. Fear. Danger. Okay. So, I just find it interesting that in the same day we get a story about it's going to be hard going up in elevators, and people are more and more people than you think are going down into are building bunkers. Very interesting. Whatever goes up, bunkers must go down. Bunkers is bonkers. Bonkers and bunkers. Aye. <laughs> so, anyway, I want to get back to nature's intelligence because it's one of my favorite themes. All right, the vicious alligator. How dare us refer to an alligator as vicious? Yeah. Look in the mirror if you want to see vicious. Well, we actually pre preconceived the notion of viciousness and act on it. Yes, we do. Where the we're uh, very good at it. The alligator's not so good at that. Yeah. Um, at any rate, so alligators and crocodiles are reptiles, right? Right. Now. We have an evolutionary relationship with these animals, with these reptiles. And we live with that every day because we now know that anatomically, physiologically, neurologically, our human brains still have a reptilian part to it. Uh-huh. 
there is a deep-seated remnant of the reptilian brain still functioning in the human brain. Now, why is it still there? Usually, nature gets rid of things that aren't needed. Mm -hmm. So why do we still have a, why is a small part of our brain, which right now has become a huge part of our brain, reptilian? The reptilian brain is called binary. It reacts to surprise in one of two ways, fight or flight. Mm -hmm. It has no other options. If we mistakenly step on a snake and it bites us, it wasn't vicious. Right. Most of the time, if it senses us coming, and this is true, there was a beautiful story I read, I don't remember where, about rattlesnakes. Uh Now, I don't want to come upon a rattlesnake. I'll be the first one. It would scare the living crap out of me. But this woman wrote this article about how her and her husband rented this cabin in the woods of, like, Kentucky or somewhere, and that she loves tending a garden, she loves nature, and... She heard a horrible scream of a small animal, small rodent. And she discovered there was a rattlesnake living under under the cabin. Uh-huh. Now, she's a nature person, and she realized this rattlesnake wasn't vicious. It was eating to survive. Right. And she read up, and she learned that rattlesnakes want, like most things, want nothing to do with humans. Right. If they sense a human coming, they flee. The only time, and there are differences among snakes. Some snakes are more aggressive than others. But the rattlesnake is not aggressive when it comes to humans. Uh-huh. It wants nothing to do with us because <clears throat> it's smart. And that's why it warns and it you knows that we're a lot more vicious than It knows that we're a lot more vicious than it is. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to flee. But if it's stepped on and surprised, then it... Then it attacks okay um but the reptile you can't blame to blame a reptile for doing it can only do one of two things it can either if it's surprised or if it needs to act it's either going to flee or fight why do we still have that operating in our brain it's called adrenaline if we're driving up a incline right Mm-hmm. And we get towards the top, and suddenly we see coming the other way up over the ridge is a huge truck that's veered out of its lane and could hit us. We need that shot of adrenaline to quickly get out of the way. Right. To flee. Right? Mm-hmm. That's the reptilian part of our brain. The problem is we haven't been educated and we haven't practiced not accessing that part of our brain when it isn't necessary. Right. So we tend to fight things that we would do well not to be fighting about. Uh-huh. It's why we have constant wars. But there's another. Now, there's another part of our brain. The mam- then there's the mammalian part of it. We are mammals, right? As right. species, that's what we were taught. We're mammals. Well, what is what is the key drive of the mammalian brain? I remember reading the book back in high school called the territorial imperative. Hmm. Mammals are territorial. Yes. That's how they survive. I've, I've brought up this example before. We consider it vicious if a innocent little lion cub ventures into another pride's territory by mistake. Mm-hmm the male of that pride will kill it. Right. We would see that as vicious. It's the male doing the only thing its brain knows how to do, which is protect its territory. Uh Uh-huh. If our ancestors didn't have that part of their brain, we wouldn't be here. Because when we first started creating cities, they had to be walled to protect invaders from coming in and just taking everything and killing everybody. Right. So here we are in the 20, what century is this? 21st. Thank you. I keep forgetting. I know. Um, Here we are in 2020, and we're still fighting constant wars. 
even though we know nobody wins a war. Yeah. We learned that thousands of years ago. Great book, The Iliad by Homer. Over 2,000 years ago, when after a huge war, the Trojan War, um, Achilles, the greatest warrior of the Greeks, the Greeks win, right? Uh-huh. And the Iliad ends with Achilles, the great warrior, the victor, weeping mm. as he looks over the battlefield and sees all the blood and dead bodies of both Greeks and Trojans. What did he win? We still haven't learned that because we're still fighting wars every day. We are. That's the mammalian brain. We're defending territory, defending territory. Build a wall. But it's surprising how well we do get along as well. I mean, if you look at the size of New York City and the number of people that are actually killing each other or, or mm -hmm. trying to destroy each other is, is minimal compared to the number of people that are there existing and coexisting. And going back to our brain, why is that? Um... How have we been able to manage that? Using not that part of our brain. Correct. <laughs> so what other part of the brain is there? So we have the reptilian part of our brain, which is fight or flight. Mm -hmm. Fear. Fear is necessary at times. But as we're learning now, I don't care whether you agree or disagree about shutting down entire societies due to the virus. It doesn't matter. Fear after a while becomes a paralyzer. It paralyzes the brain, it paralyzes the immune system. If we're in constant state of fear, we can't be a healthy individual. We can agree on that. Right. A certain dose, yes. And then we need to get past the fear, the, the reptilian. Then we go to the territorial. At a certain point, we now live in the era of the World Wide Web. The whole nature of territory has shifted. Mm -hmm. Has anyone noticed? You can't. How do you defend a border when the world's become virtual, right? You could have 10 million soldiers defending the physical border of the United States. You're not going to stop cyber attacks. No, nope, you're not. It's a different world. It's not just physical territory anymore. We have, psych we have psychic territory, psychological territory, we have virtual territory. That's the world we live in right now. We're trying to get used to that. We're trying to get our sea legs here. So what? So you, you make a good point. If we still have the reptilian part of our brain working, which is fight or flight, mm -hmm. um, people fighting and fleeing, the mammalian part, which will kill to defend its territory, how come we haven't killed each other off? Right. Well, maybe there's another part of our brain that evolved, that nature ga developed, that we de that came out of nature's intelligence. It's called the cerebral. It's some refer to it as cerebral cortex, the frontal cortex. It's the biggest physiologically. It's the largest part of our brain. Uh huh. We don't use it very often, but it's the largest <laughs> part of our brain. And let's be honest. Let's look at our school system. And I went to a, what was considered a highly rated public school. We were taught. We were, most of the teaching was based on fear. And territory. Mm -hmm. If you don't memorize this, you're not going to get a oh, good, yeah. you're not going to be a success when you grow up. Absolutely. Why were they giving us grades? To make us learn better? No, to put fear in us. Yeah. And it worked. And to create territory. Oh, you're an A student, you're better than the B student. Right. Well, no, you're better at memorizing the prejudiced information and the limited scope of, of human history that we're giving you. Okay. Um, well, that exonerates me then, because I was a terrible student. You know, you're, <laughs> part of you is lucky. So anyway, we have this part of our brain called the cerebral. It's the biggest part of our brain, and it's the part of our brain that can actually see past our own personal interest, our own personal territory, and our own personal fears. Right. Alligator can't do it. No. Lion can't do it. We can. Most of the time, we don't. Right. We haven't figured out how to use our brains properly. Now, we, in, a, in a sense, you make a good point. We we do get some credit here. We haven't killed each other off entirely. Uh-huh. Uh, we're still a constant war. Yeah. Um, we're still living in an economic system which is being totally manipulated by corporate interests to make sure that 
the 1% get more and the 99% get less. Uh-huh. Uh, by the way, history has shown when that goes on for too long, revolution's inevitable. Yeah. And then we have good old George Carlin's favorite entropy, <laughs> which no matter what we do, things fall apart and new things take their place. But we were given the cerebral cortex to maybe get a bigger picture of these things. But you know what? When we're in fear, the cerebral cortex can't operate. Uh-huh. That's the amygdala. That's the reptilian uh-huh. part of our brain. And um, when we are, we are mammals, but when we're stuck in the territorial part of our brain, we can't see past defending our own territory, whether it's proper or not. Mm-hmm. And it's encouraged. Mm-hmm. Patriotism, encouraged. Yeah, there you go. Defend your, defend your flag. Defend your territory. That's right. The whole nature of territory has shifted. Has anyone taken notice? Yeah. Build a wall. Uh, a f- now, now they're talking about firewalls to try to stop cyber. You know. Anyway, we have an interesting. There's an, you, you like horse races? There's an interesting race going on between the cerebral cortex of the human being. Uh-huh. And the other parts of the brain, the fight or flight and the territorial, and then throw entropy in there. Uh huh. And uh, you got a pretty entertaining show. Yes, indeed. Pretty entertaining show. And speaking of entertaining shows, why don't we bring in Patrick Carlin, who George said taught him attitude. Because we need a healthy dose of Patrick. By the way, in our second hour, we'll be talking to and listening to the Sultan of Sonic Soul, Gus Mancini, so we'll get some cool jazz. We will be talking with a very interesting lady who's putting on a very interesting event with a lot of people helping her out. The 2020 Phoenicia International Festival of the Voice will do the first drive-in opera live performance. Wow. We'll tell you about that, and then we'll open up the Woodstock Roundtable Jukebox. Patrick Carlin. Here I am, dude. Oh, thank the Lord for that. <laughs> I know. I do every day. Every day you wake up, it's a miracle. Let me tell you something yeah. about them masks and all. Yeah. Because I'm not afraid of this thing. It's just a horrible thing. And I'm going to tell you something. I put that mask on for other people, not me. And that's my way of saying thank you for having some intelligence and not ganging up in places and breathing on one another with a thing that we have no idea about it. We don't know nothing. All right, I but don't know right. nothing, I, I don't go around. I don't go down 117th Street if I don't at least know one guy somewhere who hangs out there. I don't do dumb stuff. So I, it's my way of saying thank you to the people that respond and the docs and the nurses and the staff people and the underpaid people due to the other way we run the health system and all. Uh, they're magnificent. I'm just bringing out the best in a lot of people, and I didn't mean to preach about that, but I don't feel no fear about it, and I know most of those people I see with the masks on, it's not because they're in fear or constant stuff like that. That ain't how it works, man. Anyway, I'm here to say this. Before you guys come on the air, I play stuff and I put down thoughts and all, and my thought for today was, if you could live forever, would you? And then you come on with the nature's intelligence thing, which is right up my alleyway. It was so beautiful, man, because uh, it's the, uh, the, thing, the thing, nature is trying to tell us to go away. <laughs> yeah, man, we've, had, we've used up our time on stage, and it's time to move along and let the next act begin. The dinosaurs, the dinosaurs had a long act. They were here like 160 million years. We're just like a fill-in, you know, to what? 200, 300,000 years since we swung out of the trees and quit grunting at one another uh, and started grubbing around as scavengers because we were rotten hunters. This has not been a wonderful uh, trip for nature to have to put up with us, and we've been troubled since we got here. And now they've found a way for us to make ourselves go away. Well, I don't want to hasten that because I want to hang around as long as I can and see what's coming. And if you don't like gators... Stay out of the swamp, dude. <laughs> Move to Yuma. I don't think you bunk into a lot of gators. Or get out there to Baker, California. Last time I was there, I took a picture of the big thermometer or something, and it was like 112, and that was first thing in the morning. So, uh, you know, you got other stuff to think about. You are going away as a species, and get over it. Enjoy the moment. I was playing heavy stuff this morning before you guys came on the air, 
and I did a whole bunch of uh, Leonard Cohen stuff. Mm. I start with like uh, I start with the trip of Hallelujah, and then I go to the future, and uh, then the uh, anthem, and then the one of uh, You Want It Darker. And part of that, and his heavy lyrics, mm. I really get into when I love. And the, he says, you want to see the future? It is, I've seen the future, brother, and it's murder. <laughs> I mean, you've got to love that. So right behind there, those four, I come in with Spanky and our gang singing, making every minute count, making it groovy, and telling you to enjoy the moment. While you're hung up on tomorrow and yesterday, you're in the nowhere train, man. So you got to enjoy the moment. And don't worry about the species and all that kind of stuff. You know, the, the sun and stuff, it all goes away. My son showed me a picture the other day of uh, just our, our solar system. Our solar system and our galaxy there. And uh, we were like out on the edge of the galaxy, a tiny dot. And I think about that the next time some dude says, you know who I am. Why, certainly I know who you are. You're an insignificant species that's going away. Brotherhood and all, because while I was goofing this morning before you come on here, I played a couple of Dan Cassidy tunes. And this is a dude that George put me into one morning. He came by. you got to hear this album and all. And the guy was singing, oh, we all once lived in a valley. And he's singing about Ireland before the strangers came to try and teach us their way. And we, they scorned us just for being what we are. So uh, a lot of good poetry comes out, and I enjoy good poetry, and I listen for that in songs from people. So sometimes I'm able to tell people about an artist like Dan Cassidy, who should be, they should be punching him off the iTunes board and whatever happens, because he's got a whole album of things that are, ah, the Irish and their gin milgin. And I mean, this guy had soul. And he, he, he kicked a habit when he was in Phoenix House, man, in New York. And when he plays a tune called 34th Street to L.A., you can hear the anguish in the guitar and the vocal. Anyway, that's the kind of stuff I do before you come on the air. I'll tell you what and, we're going to do, because when we open up our jukebox, we'll do a little now. So give me the, the song again from Dan Cassidy. We that's All it. Once Lived in a Valley. What, is that the title? That's the title. See if you can find that, Ron. And then oh, I want to yeah, play Dan a little Spanky Cassidy. and Our Gang, because Spanky and Our Gang had a very short career, but they had such beautiful harmonies. Oh, yeah. And in well, the, this, was, this was Dan Cassidy. This is a different individual. No, I want to play both. Because oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, because this guy, this guy was something, man. I'll and tell you what, we'll, we'll do that with our that jukebox a little later on. to L.A., for a, it's just a highway song. And the anguish in it, the anguish in it, and the way, and you know, and this is a man who kicked a heroin habit, and I have great respect for anyone who kicks any kind of thing that's torturing them. Yep. And uh, I love him, and I never, I, I mean, I, I met him just, we talked one night, but I love his soul. Well, listen, we love getting an injection of Patrick Carlin every week. It's our way of keeping our immune system strong. And uh, we, yeah. always, we always appreciate some insights from you. Give Marlene and Patty yeah. a big hug for us. And we look forward to when you can come back and join us live in the studio. I That'll be a treat. Respect and love each other, Doug. And mask up, bros and sisters. All right, Patrick. Always a pleasure. My pleasure, indeed. All right. We'll talk to you next week. We're going right. to take Adios, our break. Caballeros. We are at the end of one hour. Of radio time, one to go. Hang out with us here at the Woodstock Roundtable.